0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: Yo, what's good Celtics fans? Happy Monday. I hope everybody's ready for a good week. We've just had a great week of basketball. A little bit of a different vibe today. Greg isn't with me, so I've kind of got a pinch hitter. A new face over at com. Somebody that I've known for quite a while, Mr. Jack Simone. Jack, man, what's going on?
0: Nothing much. I'm I'm happy to be here. Excited to talk Celtics. Uh, thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, I've been on your podcast enough times I feel like it's only right that I eventually return the favour, right?
0: for sure i appreciate it i appreciate
1: it yeah it's been a half minute since uh we spoke last time we spoke i think um it was during the off season right i jumped on your podcast during the off season we kind of spoke a little bit about the depth of the team how how excited we were uh, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it took a complete nosedive for a half minute and now, now we're now like, it's like a roller coaster right we've come all the way down and now we're just doing that, <laughs> that slow climb back up and that climbs where the anticipation's there and you get those butterflies and man i'm feeling real good about this team right now
0: Oh, yeah. I'm I'm loving the climb back up. Anything's better than where they were to start the season, obviously. Not not looking too hot for a while, but uh, some hot play from a few players has helped turn it around, and I, I couldn't be more excited to talk about it. Yeah, for
1: sure, man. I think I'm going to name this episode The Bounce Back.
0: Uh, it's a perfect uh, name. It's a perfect, perfect
1: name. Perfect name. So, look, man, I mean, in my opinion, one of the main things that I've really noticed is everyone from the Orlando game up until now, one of the biggest talking points has been the defensive identity. Yeah? Everybody's saying like, yo, the Celtics are really figuring out who they are defensively. Udoka made a few adjustments to that switch everything scheme, made it switch most things, implemented a Mm -hmm. little bit of like switch one through four, depending on who's at the five, you can drop, but we want our bigs to show on the perimeter more. We'll run a little bit bit of inversion, get our, our smalls kind of rotating onto the bigs and then try and scram guys out when we need to. That's been working quite well, but what's got me encouraged is the slowly becoming signs of an offensive identity as well. And uh, I think that, and I know this is kind of, yeah. Well, Tatum's playing well, so of course there's an offensive identity to get the ball to Tatum. I understand that's like the major narrative right here. But I'm not, in my opinion, the the way the offense has been run and they've been implementing the offense. There's a reason that's coincided with Tatum finding a groove as well because everything seems to be clicking right now. Ball movement, penetration, and then obviously it helps when Tatum's knocking down shots.
0: For sure, yeah. I, I was close to, I wrote the recap for the Thunder game the other night, and I was this close to uh, titling it the Celtics drive and kicked their way to victory, because, I mean, that's that's what they did. And the drive and kick is just, it, it's been the only good thing about the Celtics offense seemingly all year as they're struggling from three, they're struggling to, you know, finish in the paint at some times. And Yudoka said before the game, if you see me screaming on the sidelines, it's because I'm telling them to open man, and they did that on almost every possession you know, against the Thunder, and it resulted in a win, which they almost ended up not winning, but we don't have to talk about that part as much. Um, Yeah, it it was great to see, and you know I love him. My boy Grant Williams is just reaping the rewards right now, which I absolutely love.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wrote about Grant probably Friday, maybe. it was, might have been Friday, might have been, like, Wednesday, something like that last week. But a big fan of Grant. I think what he's doing at the moment has been fantastic. The, The bounce back himself, you know, another another guy that's experienced that bounce back. A lot of us have wrote him off last year. Personally, I didn't see him really getting much of a look in this season. I was just like, there's too many defensive, defensive deficiencies and he's too streaky of a shooter to really find a role in the team. Uh, he, he's That dude's putting some work, dude, because his three point shot just looks money right now. Super consistent. Defensively, he looks way more mobile than what he did last year. He's hanging with guys on the perimeter. He's, He's switching when he needs to. He's one of the more reliable help defenders on that roster as well at the moment. I think, and I said this in the piece that I wrote, the thing with Grant is on defense, he can go six, seven, eight, nine possessions without you really knowing he's on the floor. And that's a good thing because unless you're the onboard defender or you're making a crazy hustle play, the only reason you should be noticed is because you make a mistake. So defensive anonymity usually means that you've done your job well. And you just move on. So I think that defensively, Grant's been great. Offensively, you know, I think one of the things is, and I've said this before, is a very underrated screen setter.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you saw the tweets last night from Taylor Snow saying he's the first Celtic since Ray Allen to shoot 50% from the corner. All those stats. His three-point shooting's been off the charts. Uh, He's great at setting screens. Like you said, they need guys like that on the floor next to Al and next to Rob. And and the defense, after a a dip in success last year, I guess you could say he, he was great his rookie season. Uh, over the offseason, um, before this season started, he was talking about how he lost a bunch of weight so he could play the four more. And you're seeing that, like you said, looking at that Lakers game, he got cooked by LeBron in the first quarter. I don't know what he was doing, but then he turned it around and was playing solid defense the rest of the game. He's becoming more mobile. He's able to switch, like you said, on the perimeter, uh, which you know Udoka wants the team to do some more. Um, he's becoming that sort of stretch four that the Celtics envisioned him being when he came into the league. Uh, rather than the small ball center they had him play his rookie year, which is a great development, especially uh, especially if he's knocking down shots like this because the Celtics need shooters bad right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, man, if we're setting the bar at regarding LeBron James and doing a good job of it, I think we're setting it a little <laughs> bit too hard. Like, I know LeBron's true. getting old, but like we're talking about LeBron James, dude. Like, <laughs> if that's the bar for which we measure your defensive ability, then everyone in the league is predominantly a subpar defender. So, you know, yeah. I, I I can live with LeBron James cooking you in a quarter. I can live with him cooking you for two or three quarters. That's his job. That's why he's LeBron James. I'd be more concerned for LeBron if he wasn't cooking Grant Williams, to be quite honest. Um, I think Grant, <laughs> you seriously did. I'm being no, really honest. Great. I think with Grant as well, another thing that you're seeing from him as well is um, really good recognition, when to sink into that corner, when to lift out of it onto the wing, when to shoot, when to drive. And... uh. Not just Grant here. We saw it from uh, Dennis Schroeder as well Yes, uh, yesterday, so Saturday when everybody's listening to this. And that's those fake dribble handoffs. I think Grant's been running them a bit. He ran them a bit last year during last year's preseason too, but we saw it from Schroeder as well. Those little fakey dribble handoffs when a team's defending you with a switch system cause so many ha- headaches because teams get ready to switch, but then there's, no, then there's no handoffs. So do they switch, don't they switch? Before they figure out where they need to be, the guy's already gone with the ball. And Grant might not have the biggest change of pace, but his frame's so wide that once he gets you on his hip, he can hold you there until he may... he's not going to score on you really like that, but he's going to be able to create a secondary action or find a second side action with a swing pass. Now, I think that's been an underrated aspect of his game on the move as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. And with Schroeder running the offense, and you saw it a little from Horford this night too, just him getting a screen and being able to work from that in-between game in that mid-range, he's killer. Like There's not much the OKC Thunder could do to stop him once he got to that mid-range. He would either drive to the hoop and finish over their center or just pull up from mid-range, and he was knocking those down too. And even if they did close out, that would leave either Horford or Grant Williams, like you said, slipping to the side, hitting an easy three. It was what you want to see from the Celtics offense that you know a lot of fans are begging for for most of the season, and now that they're doing it, uh, they looked great. I thought that was some of the best offense they played all year against the Thunder the other night.
1: Yeah, very movement based, very, um, I wouldn't say rudimentary, because driving kick, you know, it, for me, like when I'm watching it, and I wrote a piece about this on Saturday. Did I write it on Saturday today? Sunday. Yeah, I wrote it on Saturday, where I looked at one very specific play that was kind of a melting part of the offense they ran. Right? Um, and for me, I get the driving kick is what everybody's recognising because it's that final pass before you hit the shot, right? But they're, so, they're running so many different entry sets from motion strong. To, they're, they're setting up in wide schemes. And, you know, if you want to understand, read, read the piece I wrote, if you already know it, great. If you're not interested, personally, sometimes I'm not interested either, so I don't blame you. Um, but they're, they're running so many different entry sets to get into this driving kick motion that they weren't using three or four games ago. Three or four games ago, it was very much high screen roll, high screen and roll, just like they did under Brad Stevens. get a paint touch, initiate a second side action, hopefully for a shot. Now what they're doing is they're putting defenses into rotation with these early offensive sets, and then they're penetrating for the paint touch and getting a second or third side action that results in an open three. Uh, I think that's been a huge benefit, because while the Celtics were getting open shots before these last two games, the defense may have been, that they were daring you to shoot somewhat they knew that you were struggling to score. So they were like, let's, let's protect the driving kick and let them shoot from free and we'll adjust if they start making them. Unfortunately, the Celtics weren't making them. So um, Udoka kind of tinkered with how they set up and get into those driving kick actions with some good entry sets. And they uh, developed a different team. The confidence looks really, really good right now.
0: Yeah, there were a couple of plays against the Thunder where you saw the Celtics make four, five, six passes that had the the you know uh, OKC scrambling just to catch... Uh, catch up in rotations like you mentioned and if you want to talk about Tatum the perfect connection uh, is I think it was early in the first quarter maybe they ran a play swung it into the paint got it out wide smart made the final pass Tatum got an open look uh, at the top of the key nailed it and that was the first three I think he made the whole game and getting those open looks to Tatum I think are like you were saying earlier I think are the biggest reason why he's been able to break out of that slump. He's getting the easy looks and then working from there. Because earlier in the season, you'd see him take these, you know, step back three. He He'd go one for eight uh, from deep because he's attempting these super contested threes. The team's now getting him open looks, and that's allowing him to get the rhythm going. And now he's dropped thirty in three games straight, and you're seeing Tatum again, which is a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, for me, like the points totals fine, like um, but he was putting those similar points up on inefficient nights as well. So it's yes. the efficiency that's doing it for me. Uh, a thing that I really like as well that I don't know if you kind of picked up on, but these last two games, the Lakers and then the Thunder, these were two of the more physical games that I've seen Tatum play. In terms of he was hunting out the contact, you know, he dislodged Lou Dort with his with his arm and his shoulder in this uh, against the Thunder. He had a similar play. I can't remember who it's against. It's on my Instagram. If anybody follows me there, please at me and tell me who which player I'm on about. But um, he basically dislodges a guy with his off hand. Again, I think it was Avery Bradley. I think the year it was because Dennis Schroeder set an inverted screen on the wing, which then forced, I'll I'll put it on Twitter too, I'll remember now, then forced a mismatch because whoever um, Avery Bradley switches onto Tatum and then Tatum's just like, nah, dude, wait room, get off me. And then takes it, takes it for an easy finish. Tatum's really embraced that kind of bully type of tactics. Like, you know, I think it took him a while to adjust to the new physicality of the league, these new foul, foul rules. I'm, I'm loving them, absolutely loving them. I grew up in the nineties and eighties. Well, in the nineties and early two thousands. I'm not that old. I didn't grow up in the eighties. Um, if you guys didn't, then that's fine. If you guys and girls grew up in the eighties, you know, I know people that did too. I was born in the 80s, but the physicality of the league back then, I'm, I'm loving the way that, you know, you're allowed to use that offhand again, create space, get your shoulder into guys, and I think Tatum now is adjusted and realized, like, dude, I'm stronger than most people I'm, who who are going to defend me. That like, I lift enough that, you know, I've got, I've got semi-muscles now. I, I look like Shemi Ojale on, like, stilts. You know, so, um, yeah, man, I think that, that physicality has been a big aspect of his uh, performances over the last few games.
0: Yeah, early on in the season, I was kind of drawing the comparison or I guess the differences between Jalen and uh, Jalen and Jason. Sorry, Um, the way Jalen drives to the rim, he kind of embraces the contact. Obviously, you see him when he finishes at the rim, he can get wherever he wants. He goes through defenders. But early on in the season, and I think it's, you know, just because of how last season was uh, trying to draw fouls all the time and, you know, the rule changes and everything. Tatum was trying to manipulate the contact a little bit, if that makes sense. Like he's looking for the foul call, which last year is how you play basketball, right? That's just the way the league, Trey Young, you know, falling back into guys shooting three pointers, uh, everybody at the rim trying to draw fouls, hook up a shot. Uh, And that's what Tatum was doing. He was trying to finesse uh, instead of just brute force his way to the basket. And like you said, these last two games, uh, Lakers and OKC, he's been just driving right at guys realizing, wait, I'm six foot eight, you know, however, you know heavy Tatum is he's a strong strong dude now people were talking about the muscles he put on and he he's showing them off now finally Uh instead of you know trying to finesse and get a foul now the fouls are coming to him a little bit Uh he'll get to the line more naturally which is it's perfect because now he's finishing and you look at his shot chart from a couple of games ago I know it was up on Celtics blog um, it's just a bunch of shots in the paint and a couple of threes in a single quarter which is what do you want to see from Tatum Uh just bully ball just bully way to the rim man yeah man I mean for me like Tatum's definitely a rhythm player.
1: He definitely he he once he feels hot, he plays with a different level of confidence and a different level of like poise. So allowing him to get to the rim, force his way there, use those big shoulders shoulders of his, you know, just attack the rim, really put guys under pressure and make them realise like, yo, if I if I'm dealing up Tatum, at the end of the game, I'm gonna have a few bruises that I'm gonna feel in the morning. And once he gets going at the rim, then you start building that shooting out. And we've seen it before, as you said, like that Maury ball, right? Rim and freeze, layouts and freeze, dunks and freeze. That's Maury ball all day long. And uh, if you can get Tate and playing that type of brand of basketball, his numbers are going to go up, his efficiency is going to go up. What we're noticing is because of the way he's attacking the rim, the passing lanes are opening up for him, so he's getting more assists now. He's improved tremendously as a rebounder. I mean, I don't think anybody can deny that His rebounding, like, um, being able to read the trajectory of the ball and stuff. His rebounding has been great. Now, I'm not saying he did what, um, Dennis Rodman did and just got guys to fire up bricks so we could study the way the ball bounces off the rim. I think that's a cool story, but I doubt Tatum did that. But, um, he has improved tremendously as a, as a rebounder as well, which is allowing him to pull the board down and just get out and go, which, uh, which is something Kudoka seems to have implemented as well. Like you pull down the board, you you bring the ball up, and you initiate the offense. And if it's tight, that's the guy you want initiating the offense anyway, so it's a big, a big adjustment uh, in terms of being able to score and being able to rebound. I think he's uh, if he can play like this, he's he's an All NBA candidate for sure.
0: A hundred percent. Ever since that Chicago game, what zero defensive rebounds in the the fourth quarter? You you've noticed the difference, like Robert Williams before he went down. You know, scrounging on the boards, picking up any rebound he can get, even on offense. And Tatum too. I mean, like you said, he's pulling him down with force, grabbing it, running up the court, and going back on the uh, efficiency thing and the working your way out. Last night uh, when we were recording this uh, against the Thunder, he started two for five, I remember, because I was writing the recap. I was was taking notes. Um, His only two makes were a mid-range shot and a shot in the paint. He missed three threes in a row. Then he hit a couple easy mid-range shots that got him that open look at the top of the key, and like you said, he got in that rhythm, and then there was it it was a snowball from there. You just can't stop Tatum once again gets in a rhythm, and – that, that's that been the key over these last three games, which I, I'm loving that the Celtics offense is focusing in on that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that once Tatum gets going, you definitely need to start having a secondary offensive piece because obviously defenses are going to load up on Tatum. And that's where Dennis Schroeder came into it. Uh, anyone listening to the show knows I've not really been the biggest fan of Dennis Schroeder. Um, in terms of like, look, I understand what he brings to the table. I'm not blind. Um, but these last two games, I actually I'll give credit where credit's due. I think he's been incredibly effective. He's, he's been more of a willing passer before a defense closes in on him, uh, which was my biggest my biggest gripe with Schroeder was you only pass when there's no other option available to you. Uh, he seems to be moving the ball around a bit more on the perimeter. We've seen him kind of like take a little foray into like that long mid range area and then look to initiate out of there. And his driving kick as well has been great. I mean, if you go back and watch his possessions the amount of pressure he put on the rim, I think there was four or five times that he drove that you had four Oklahoma City Funder players clog the paint. They were helping off everybody to stop those drives and that really, that opened up, a, I think there was a driving kick like that that ended up with a Grant Williams free. There was a driving kick like that that ended up with a Tate and catch and shoot free. Then there was a uh, 45 cut off Josh Richardson that ended up getting coming off um, a Schroeder driving kick. Like it, it, I think that, teams are starting to realize that when Dennis Schroeder's coming downhill at you, you need to kind of build that wall. And it's crazy because of how small he is, right? So if you watch what the what the Celtics were doing in half court, they were like, um, you'd get a Dennis Schroeder entry pass to the elbow and then you'd get a give and go. So he'd give it and start building speed from about three feet outside of the three-point line. And when he got the ball back, he's already operating at speed and he's attacking that room. Uh, they're, they're utilizing his speed fantastically. I've got to give uh, Udoka credit there.
0: Yeah, not only is he such a good passer once to get uh he gets to the uh, the rim in that mid-range, his ability to get the ball up on the glass just so quickly over defenders has been so so impressive. They were talking about it on the broadcast on uh, Mike Gorman and Scow. He just shoots it over guys. Like, he's not affected by, by, you know, the opposing center in the paint. And not that Derek Favors and Isaiah Roby are the most effective centers in the NBA. I mean, Derek, Derek Favors is one of my, like, one of
1: my personal favorite defensive bigs in the league, to be fair.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, it's impressive regardless. Like you're shooting these floaters, you know, a tall 62, six one, six two, six. He can't be more than six three. Shooting over, you know, six ten centers. He's my height, is my height <laughs> or smaller. It's it's that like he's
1: my height or smaller, and I'm not driving yeah. on these dudes. So exactly that's the impressiveness.
0: It's very impressive. He he's been great, like you said, and th- those issues you were talking about why why you're not as big a fan. I think you saw them a few times in OKC, and that's when. The Thunder were able to make those little comebacks. They stopped doing the driving kick. They stopped running these plays for other people. And it was just a lot of what you saw earlier this season. Schroeder, dribble, dribble, dribble at the top of the key. Defenders close out, and it leads to, to a mess. And the Thunder capitalized that, and obviously it led to a uh, a run in the third quarter, and they almost came back at the end of the game. Uh, Udoka had to put the starters back in, which was not fun. But uh, they, they closed it out. But Schroeder, I agree, would has been a lot better at making that extra pass finding the right play and finishing at the rim I mean that's been so huge for the season season too yeah
1: I mean I, I don't even mind those mid-range pull-ups but my, my outlook on it is I get why you do them because you have put enough pressure on the defense that they're going to sink to the rim so there's just going to be so much space for you to do that and he's actually quite good at like stop and popping like uh, I'll give him his credit there but I just feel like when you when you have the ability to get such high percentage looks at the rim, regardless of who's defending you, why keep settling for a shot that you're not elite at? You know what I mean? You're a good mid range shooter, but you're not an elite yeah. mid range shooter. You, you know you're not DeMar DeRozan, you're not Jason Tatum, or whoever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, um, unless it's like a real money floater and you you know you can bank it over a taller guy. I'd I'd much prefer you to kick it out and initiate something rather than – but um, he always – he did it in L.A. last year. He did it in Oklahoma the year before. Um, he always hunts those elbow pull-ups. That's like – it's where he feels the most comfortable, I think, in terms of pull-up shooting. And um, I, ju- I just don't understand it. Like, if the defense is blocked off the rim, I would much prefer you kick it out or reset and figure something out again. But like, I'd like Schroeder to do like get more comfortable like Tatum has of giving up the rock and knowing it's going to find you in a better position in a couple of seconds.
0: Yeah, the only thing I can think of as to why he does it, and I don't love the mid-range shot either. I'm a big analytics guy when it comes down to it, so obviously mid-range shots are not for me. But um, as defenders sink back deeper into the paint to try to protect it better because he's shooting over them, I guess it becomes more open. But like you said, at that point, you can just kick it out, have it find you in a better spot to get at the rim uh, in a clear path uh Going downhill, like you said, he's so good at and gotten so good at throughout the season. Or, or just, I mean, he's hitting his threes now, too, a little bit more consistently. So, even finding him uh, around the perimeter, I'd be okay with. But, uh, yeah, mid range shots. Yeah.
1: I'm a mid range guy. I, I see, I yeah. think there's a ton of value, especially in this era of basketball. I think there's a ton of value in that mid range shot, depending on who the guy is taking the shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I don't think the the mid-range game is dead and I don't think it should die. I think that, and I've said this many a time, in the regular season, the the mid-range shot should only be used so you can continue to keep that range. You understand your distance and you understand your spots. The value of the mid-range shot comes in the playoffs where teams are focusing on perimeter and rim, perimeter and rim, and that mid-range shot is there consistently. That's where the value Mm -hmm. comes into it. So this is why I'm like, I want Tatum shooting two to four middies a game. That I want him to shooting those because when the playoffs come, if he needs to increase that to eight midis a game for whatever reason, maybe you come up against the Jazz in a finals appearance and you know you need to attack that mid range because Rudy Gobert's at the rim and I don't care who you are, if you're trying to go up on Rudy Gobert every possession, it's not going to work out well. That no. mid range, so, you know for that reason, maybe you go from four to eight or nine mid range shots a game, and for that I w- I don't mind. Certain players uh, on this team: Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Heck, Dennis Schroeder, two a game. Two a game just to keep that range there for when the playoffs come. I'm fine with Josh Richardson's the same. Um, Heck, even Romeo Langford if it has to be. But that's where I find the value in the regular season, just to keep your range and keep that rhythm for when you need them in the playoffs and you need to increase that usage.
0: Yeah, I think there's definitely value in the mid-range in the sense that you want to keep defenses honest. If you're never taking mid-range shots, then they're just not going to guard it and they'll know to just go on the perimeter or drop back in the paint. Um, except for Grant Williams, he he took a mid-range the other night, and it, it didn't it didn't look too hot. But um, no, yeah, in, in the playoffs, like you said, it was clear last year Chris Paul just killing every team he played, uh, from the mid-range, and I, I think that's where it really does come into play. Like you said, teams are so focused on defending the three, uh, or like if you're the Bucs, defending the paint that that shot's always going to be open. And Chris Paul took advantage of it. And if the Celtics can get in the rhythm from there, if you're making a shot, two points is two points, I guess, right? Like Josh Richardson, I think I was looking at the stats of shooting 55% from the mid-range. If that's the range he needs to stay hot, he had 15 against the Lakers, you know, take the shot. He carried them through that first quarter, him and Marcus Smart. So uh, you need to take the mid-range shot if that's the shot that's working for you. Uh, It just, in terms of analytics, that it's just, you know, ingrained in me, I suppose, that, you know, you take a layup or you take a 3 but. Yeah, you need it to work the way out. So th- there is yeah, definitely
1: you, like, that's my thing, right? Like the analytics tells you not to take the mid range shots, which is precisely why you should take the mid range shots. Yeah. Because the defense doesn't is like, Oh, well, we'll just give them a four day. Well, guess what? they now become some of the easy shots to make because no one's got a hand in your face. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's, that's my personal. It my it's personal worked its game. way around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. are all, all the way back.
1: back in the game. I, I like the <laughs> mid range shot. I like, a, you know, like a, run a cat, an Iverson cut catch and shoot for Tatum here and there just because they look pretty. I like mid-range. I grew up in a mid-range era. I want more. Give me more. But no, seriously, I do see the value and I do see the, the negatives as well. Uh, yeah. Leads us on. I mean, Schroeder, Yep. Yeah, okay, we've hit on him. I really want to talk about some Josh Richardson right now because um we are seeing this is the best version of Josh Richardson since his final season in Miami where he blew up. Uh, like, and I understand this is such a small sample size, things can still go cold for him. You know, he could overinflate his ego or whatever it may be. But right now, Josh Richardson needed the ball in his hands, and the Celtics are allowing him to operate as like a secondary or tertiary offensive threat. And uh, the dude's thriving, man. Defensively, he's been great. Stop on pop looks good. He's able to attack the rim. Um, uh, excellent length. I can understand why is struggling to knock him out of the rotation and get consistent minutes. I, re- I honestly, truly can.
0: Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. A lot of fans and you know people uh, on Twitter and all over the internet are mad that Nismith doesn't get these minutes, and Richardson's getting them over him, but he's just does so much more with the basketball right now. Like Nismith's great. He was great at the last season. He was you know hustling on defense. Uh, he was hitting his threes. And uh, Udoka touched on it earlier this season. He said Nismith's just playing a little too fast. And it's not that he and he threw Pritchard in there too are playing bad. It's just that the guys above them do so much more when they're on the court and it's tough to give minutes over them. So you got Josh Richardson and I I was at the Lakers game. I was fortunate enough to be there. It was amazing. Uh, In that first quarter, the Lakers are coming out hot. Celtics are struggling. Josh Richardson hits a couple mid-range shots. He drives to the paint. He gets the offense going. And that's where the value is right now since Brown has been out. He's been their go-to six man and he's thriving in that role. He comes in the game. And like you said, they put the ball in his hands and that's what made him so successful in Miami. So to to get that opportunity in Boston, granted in a smaller sample size, obviously he's not the main guy like he was on those Heat teams. He's thriving in that small role, and it's great to see after a couple of tough years in Philly and Dallas.
1: I like his off ball movement as well. Like I genuinely do. Like um, he's quite active off ball. Like I, I get it. Nobody's going to be as active as Steph Curry off ball. So you know when you watch Steph Curry, I like watching the Warriors from time to time. I like the way they play. Um, yeah. So, when you watch Steph Curry, you're kind of spoilt for off ball movement because that's just <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but I think, like, Josh Richardson's one of the more active off ball guys for this team. You know, he's always trying to set cross screens or he's cutting or he's curling baseline. He's on the he's move a bunch. And uh, I think that's an underrated, not a skill but an underrated commitment. I mean, anybody can run a circle, like run around to the bottom of the uh, corner and then go baseline. Like it's not something you need to be trained to do. Follow the the semicircle and then go when the line gets straight. You know, it's a basic (laughs) instruction. But a commitment to doing that consistently and dragging defenders with you, causing a little bit of confusion with like weak side rotations and stuff. Uh, I like the way he does that just because of what it does for whoever's got the ball in their hands, and for whatever scheme the Celtics are running, it does create that bit of extra confusion to give you that moment to kind of like pounce. So uh, I'm a big, I'm a big Josh Richardson fan at the moment. Big, give me Jay Rich, man. Give me Jay Rich.
0: Yeah, me too. Any chaos you can cause off the ball to give guys more opportunities is perfect, right? You, you keep them moving, you keep it going. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I what mean, works.
1: This is how I'm describing Schroeder at the moment, man. He's controlled chaos.
0: The controlled part is the key because Aaron Neesmith, right now, this season has been chaos, but these two have been controlled chaos. <laughs> yeah, there's a
1: difference, man. There is a difference. Yes. It's like uh, they call it, you know, like lightning in a bottle versus lightning from the sky. <laughs> you know, yep, I, exactly. I choose when to unleash this bad boy. The other one, I don't really have a choice. I just got to hope it doesn't get me. So uh, I do <laughs> get it, man. I do get it. And then you got like, and you mentioned, we've just meant, like, you mentioned uh, Neesmith, people wanting Neesmith to play. Mm-hmm. I, I was on that train. I still am a little bit. I still yeah. think at the end of the day, like you take, and, and Pritchard too, I'm honest this with Pritchard. Uh, I still think you take stuck of the team you've got and you ask yourself the true question. Are we a championship team? Are yeah. we going to contend for a championship? If the, if you, if you in your heart of heart, if you genuinely believe in your soul that the answer is yes, run with the guys that are playing well right now. If you, if you don't and you're like, nah, you know what, best case scenario were a second round exit, develop the young guys dude because you, they're going to be the ones that have the trade value to bring you back something that's valuable at some point or another, or that you use in a package to bring in somebody that gets you to that finals appearance again or gets you past the finals, hump into, a, I'm talking conference finals, into a finals. <laughs> uh, so I, like that's my outlook on things. If you genuinely think you're just going to get bounced in the second round, don't let this be a stagnation season for Neesmith and Pritchard. But give them minutes and just let them build. And at the end of the day, if you want to do that, If you like, you know, wait till February at the trade deadline, and then move on from some of these older guys, get some good pieces back, or some valuable picks, or whatever it may be, and then start developing these younger guys again because they're going to need the minutes.
0: Yeah, that that was my first article I wrote for Celtics blog was talking about how, you know, Neesmith and Pritchard have fallen out of the rotation a bit. And my theory on it, well, what I wrote was Ujoka is talking about how you got Richardson, you got Schroeder playing so well, it's tough to find these guys minutes, you know, you want to win basketball games, and these guys are cold from three. And, you know, you got to find that balance between, you know, they need to get in the rhythm if they want to make their shots versus you can't really put them in the rotation. If they're not making their shots, uh, you got to find that balance. But my personal theory is, you start off the season two and five, Right. Uh, and these guys aren't hot from three, it's tough to give them minutes. Now that they're over 500 for the first time this year, which is amazing, I I feel like you'll start to see Pritchard and Neesmith a little bit more inch by inch uh, as the season goes on. And if they can string together some wins, especially, obviously, you know, they'll get running garbage time. But if the Celtics are in a position where they're not having to battle back and fight in all of these games that they're losing and struggling to win, you're obviously going to see these guys more, Uh, especially, you know, to get them in that rhythm. Because once they get in a rhythm, all it takes is a couple of hot games from Pritchard and Nismith and I think they're in the rotation. But right now you can't really, you know, afford to give them those minutes if they're struggling, you know, from behind the three point line uh, in Pritchard's sense and in Nismith's sense. And then in addition, Niesmith is playing so crazy right now, he's gotta find, you know, some balance and settle in and Udoka talked about that too. But th- that's my personal theory, I guess, is just as soon as they get a few games above five hundred, a little bit of breathing room. Because as much as they might not be a championship team, like you said, if they you know think they're a second-round exit or whatever, you still got to push for the playoffs, right? Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are good enough to get there, so you need to put the pieces around them to allow them to.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, like like you say, Smith needs to play more in control. Uh, My theory on this, I have a working theory, and that theory is last year it took him probably about four, five months with the team to really figure out their defensive schemes, to really, like, not just understand them, but be able to execute them subconsciously, uh, like really grasp them. And I've got a feeling that because Udoka's scheme isn't dissimilar, but it's like far more intricate than what they yeah. were running last season. I think that maybe that's a big part of Neesmith's struggles. Like he's still... He, You have the unconscious execution and the conscious execution and the conscious execution where you have to think about it adds a two, three second delay to actually making the move, right? You're like, right, this has happened now, I've got to switch. By the time you thought about it, you do that, you're meant to be like, man marking's already gone. So you're you you you're up the creek at that point. So I think that that's something that Nismith hasn't developed yet is an ability to adapt to new schemes quickly. So I've got a feeling that we will see some good kneesmith games, but not until the second half of the season. And then for Pritchard, I just genuinely think it was a uh, masked Pritchard is not good compared to unmasked <laughs> Pritchard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Masked Pritchard was not putting up 95 points in Portland you know, exhibition runs. And, and the Neesmith thing, I, I think that's I, I didn't even think about that. Last season, he's forced to learn this whole scheme with Brad Stevens, and they didn't even have a chance to practice much, right? With COVID regulations and everything, he, he barely got a chance to practice. He was learning on the fly. It took him so long to learn that. Then you switch head coaches in the offseason, and like you said, it's not completely different, but having to learn the in- intricacies sorry of a new system has to be so hard on a guy who's just in his second year in the league and coming off an injury in college, You know, learning all this, struggling at the start of the season, finally breaking out. Uh, and now fighting for minutes with you a quality veteran and Josh Richardson, it can't be easy on him. So he's probably got a lot going on in his mind right now, which is (laughs) evidently translating to the court a little bit. Yeah, he's just like, yo, I'm going to come in there, and I'm just going to create
1: chaos and hope it works. Now, I genuinely think (laughs) Nismith will figure it out. Another guy that has been getting minutes, and the way you are with Grant, as everybody listening to the show knows, is the way I am with Romeo. Um, I'm disappointed, to be quite honest. I think that Romeo has been... more than satisfactory defensively. I think he's been quite good defensively, to be fair. However, twenty minutes and two points, which seems to be his consistent production in the last few games, isn't satisfactory. Um, he's had some good games. He's had some not so good games. I'd like to see him being a little bit aggressive, more aggressive, getting into the paint. He's got he's got explosive athleticism that we don't see regularly, and I think that he needs to tap into that, get a bit more aggression and really rely and explode more and show everybody that, like, yo, if you're at the rim and you want to come up and contest me, that's fine. I'm just going to finish over you. I want to jump over you. I want to jump onto your shoulders if I have to. Uh, and I just want that. I want to see that that fire. I think it's there. I think that he's very. He's not too dissimilar to Tatum in that he's not an emotional guy like that. You know, Tatum, Tatum, play, Tatum it's took Tatum this long to start playing with, with aggression and the dude doesn't look like he's upset one bit at anything unless he doesn't get the foul call, then he's a bit upset. But like when he's going into guys and he's dislodging guys, you don't see like the facial expressions aren't changing. And I think that it might take a bit of time for Romeo to develop that. But um, I do think defensively he's been excellent. Well, not excellent, but very good.
0: Yeah. This off season, I mean, last time I, I talk to you on a podcast i was very down on romeo and he proved me wrong at the start of the season i mean he came out you, you great <laughs> you did you did i'll give you all the credit in the world as long as i get my uh, my grant credit too you and, uh,
1: get you, you get your flowers <laughs> on grant don't worry don't worry
0: i'll take it i'll take it but no yeah romeo I, I think and obviously it's not an exact comparison i think josh richardson is the perfect player for romeo Langford to learn from you think about a guy uh, a wing who can play make a little bit great defender or at least very good like you said uh and you know needs to work on that three-point shot a little bit but it's there he, he can learn from Jay rich and he's earning those minutes over Neesmith Smith right now because he's hitting in my opinion at least because he's hitting those three-point shots a little bit more frequently uh, and you'd like to see him get more looks you know uh move off ball you know controlled chaos like you said if Romeo can learn to do that a little bit more on the offensive end I think you'll see more than two points in 20 minutes or whatever the stat you threw out there was because I think he can get some of those, you know, Grant looks if Schroeder or if Tatum is driving to the paint and kicking out. I think Romeo's, you know, due for those because he's hitting his three. He's hitting his threes this season, which is a development that I did not see coming, but it's one that's very welcome. I did
1: not see that coming either, to be quite honest, but again, it is very welcome. I just want to have a look at this because I might be wrong. Okay, so let's have a look. The first game against Cleveland, loss against Cleveland, he played 28 minutes, scored five points. The win against Cleveland, he played 15 minutes, scored one point. The game against Atlanta, he played 14 minutes, didn't score. The game against the Lakers, he played 21 minutes, scored two points. Uh, and then against Oklahoma, he, he barely played, but he scored two points. If we go a bit further back, the game against Milwaukee, he scored two points in 20 minutes. The game against Toronto, he scored six in 20 the game against Miami, he scored twelve. That was one of his better games to be fair, because mm-hmm. he was hit two for five from three. Game against Orlando, scored three points in sixteen minutes. And and so we go. So he's getting a lot of minutes, but not have a lot of offensive production. I, I I'm okay with that because you're still developing. Those minutes are invaluable, like defensively. Like uh you don't get those minutes as a third year guy. Or is it a third year guy? Is this his third year?
0: I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he, is, was, his he was he class, yeah. yeah.
1: You don't get those minutes as a third-year guy unless you're providing serious value on the defensive end, especially if you're not scoring. Your value is coming defensively, and I think that for all the like, you know, for all the talk about him not scoring and me being the one that brought this up, you know, so I'm not pointing the finger at anyone but me. Those, those defensive um, attributes that he's got are the reason he's getting time on the floor, and then he his constability factor on offense will come. He will have nights where he goes for twenty or 18. And then over time, you know, Grant Williams can have a night where he goes for like 16, 18. Romeo Langford sure as hell can. Um, I just think it's going to take a bit of time. Grant seems to be a lot more aggressive with his actions than what Romeo is at the moment.
0: Yeah. And the other night versus the Lakers, you saw Romeo shut down LeBron for one play. I won't say the whole game. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But he shut down LeBron, got a strip uh, at the end of the half. And it was it was beautiful. That's the kind of energetic defense you want to see from Romeo. And although the the points totals aren't you know, showing up as much. Uh, I did notice in the win versus Cleveland uh, in particular, his ability to drive to the paint and make plays for others is so, so crucial when he can do it. He doesn't get the opportunity too much because obviously the ball's going to be in Richardson, Schroeder, Tatum's hand more often even smart, obviously. Um, but when Romeo has the ball in his hands, he can drive and he can kick, which, like you said, is a very basic concept, but it's valuable. And I remember the play vividly, but um, you got him going. And sorry, sorry.
1: <laughs> now, nah, I mean, look, anybody that's wondering why Jack just went quiet. There's a way to kind of solo somebody's layout. And I was just, you know, <laughs> for YouTube, I wanted everyone to get a look at Jack. That was all I was doing. Just uh, I got nervous. Nah, man, I'm still here, don't worry. I it thought I did something if, wrong. If I disappeared, if room will close down because I'm the host. So don't worry about that. yeah, That's true. I mean, yeah, man, I'm the same. Like, look, if you look at his overall numbers, 18 minutes a game this season uh 4.2 points 2.7 rebounds and half an assist a game they're not great but you know i've seen veterans that have had like 12 year careers with those numbers and i think that we're only scratching the surface of romeo i mean this is the most consistent we've seen him in terms of playing time and availability since he came into the league this is essentially and i said this about markel faults when he went to when he went to orlando you can search for my twitter If you've played less than like, you know, if you've played 50 games over two years and they've been sporadic as hell, like you play two, you miss 20, you play 10, you miss 10. Like realistically, your first season where you actually start getting game, 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 game and you're living that NBA life properly, that's your rookie season essentially. Because you, you know, you play five then you're out for 15. Your body never really has to go through the recovery phase of doing 15 in eight in like 26 nights or something stupid, do you know what I mean? So I think Romeo's is just going through those adjustments and figuring out how he can break down that wall and start leaning on his athleticism a little bit more. You know, Grant been, Grant's figured it out. I think Romeo will be the next one to figure it out. And then I'm kind of at the point now where I'm like, either Neesmith or Pritchard will figure it out, but I don't think it will be both of them in Boston.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's tough because those guys are obviously, you know, in their second seasons. But w- with the amount of talent that Brad Stevens added to the roster, which is great, it's a welcome thing. It, it's just been tough for them to find those minutes. And like you said earlier, I think one of the biggest reasons Romeo is seeing these increased minutes is because of his energy and his ability to just attack on defense. Like I said, he attacked LeBron, he got that strip steal. He, he's just so energetic. And the rotations, or sorry, the scheme U- Udoka runs on the defensive end, like you said, it was switch everything at the start of the year. Now he's limited back to, you know, switch most things. Romeo's so good at that because he is so versatile he's only like six, four, but his length, his athleticism, like you touched on earlier, his intensity on that end, just make up for all of that. Uh, and he's great in that system. And he, he's looked great on that end this year. And I think the offense will come, like you said, as he gets more comfortable.
1: Yeah, I'm waiting for somebody to tell, to reach out to Romeo and tell him to give me a signed jersey because I've been on this <laughs> guy. I've been supporting this guy for two seasons now in the face of everybody. Jokes aside, I don't know. I think he's doing really well. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I'm really happy with everybody that's got minutes. Even Enes Cantors look quite good playing. And, you know, Udoka adjusted his defense, went switch one through four, play drop at the five. That worked really well. Um, I think that, you know, they're, they're switching on contact. They're pre-switching some pick and rolls. They're... um. They're not really switching dribble handoffs, they're going over and which is good instead of going under, which is stupid, um, which they were doing at the start of the year. They were going under dribble handoffs and it was just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. They've altered that a little bit. They seem to really be like getting used to the rotations now. I think the whole coaching stuff, the revamp of the coaching staff was all master strokes. So I think they've got a, a lot of really intelligent basketball minds on that bench now. Not saying that last year they didn't, but there's a lot more NBA experience on that bench now. And uh, I think that's a big, mm. a big plus. Uh, I think that wraps us up. I mean, everybody's probably just, you know, most commutes. This is the reason I keep it to forty-five minutes on a show, or just before. Most commutes are around about forty-five minutes to work. Most people like to drive for about forty to forty-five minutes with traffic to get to work, which means you're most likely either two, three minutes away from the car, the parking lot at work, or you've just pulled up, or you're sitting there waiting for us to shut up so you can go in and make your morning coffee. So we're going to leave you all to it jack do you want to tell everyone where they can find you before i leave the site
0: yeah i'm on twitter at jack simone mba that's pretty much where i do all my business you can find me on instagram too at jack t simone if you feel like following me there but jack simone mba and twitter is, is the main place thank you so much for having me adam appreciate it of
1: course it. man we'll do this again before we go everybody that's listening you know the score by now if you've enjoyed the show and you're using an apple device scroll down hit the follow button it used to say subscribe but apple changed it to follow Hit the follow button, then scroll a little bit further. Then you'll see some stars. There'll be five of them. They won't be filled in. They'll be they'll be transparent, translucent. Click the five. They'll all turn yellow. It means you gave me five stars. I'll smile. Then write something nice. You know, the the guy had a brilliant accent. He made me feel happy. The basketball knowledge was good. Whatever you want to write, as long as it's nice, I'm gonna smile. If you don't have an uh, Apple device, then you can't do that, unfortunately. But what you can do is you can use word of mouth the person that walks your dog, the person that grooms your dog, if you've got a tailor, the person that tailors your clothes. Personal shopper, tell them too. If you're in if you're in donkeys and someone's wearing a Celtics jersey, excuse me, bruh, excuse me, man. can you um can I just tell you about this awesome podcast? You know that word of mouth if you've got a yacht salesman, same thing. Whatever you've got, whoever's wearing something Celtics related, even if they're not wearing something Celtics related, we all know that everyone loves the Celtics. Recommend this show, that'd be great. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that share button, whatever it may be. And I will catch you again on Wednesday. Wednesday will be a good day, I'm sure of it. Till then, Jack, man, welcome to the Celtics Park team. It's good to have you on board, man. I've known you for a while now, so it's good to see you moving up in the world. Everybody, make sure you go follow Jack at Jack Simone NBA. And we will see you soon. Namaste. Say bye, Jack.
0: Bye. (laughs)